We have two Bible readings this morning. Uh, the first one is Genesis chapter 15. We're reading from verses 1 to 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now we're going to turn to Romans, Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 27. We're reading to chapter 4, verse 8. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through this, that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. This is God's word. Uh, morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome. And uh, if we're not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. I'm the vicar here. And um, is this on? Yeah, here we go. Okay, good. Uh, 
And uh, if you're joining us today, we're returning then to uh, Romans. It's been dominating us for uh, most of this term, these first four chapters, and um, it's a joy. And uh, you come to this passage this morning, and um, well, it's all about a gift, but one that we find quite hard to take or accept. So let me lead this in prayer again, and then uh, we'll look at this together. A great God and Father, thank you that you're generous, you're kind, you're a giver. And help us understand rightly what it means that you've given us righteousness and would uh, therefore our lives flow from this wonderful gift, from the knowledge of being accepted, from the certainty of your smile. Help us live that way, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one book I've enjoyed uh, reading uh, uh, this term is um, uh, Will Storr's book. Most of his stuff is worth a, worth a read, I'd say. Uh, the Status Game. Uh, and uh, the thesis really is that we're all playing this game in one way or another. We're, we're all wanting to secure a place in the pecking order in one way or another. Uh, and so his thesis is there are three main ways that we play the game or, or three main forms that the game takes. Uh, one will be dominance. You, you, you rise up, you secure status through force or fear. So the armies play the dominance game. You know, my army is stronger than your army. The mafia, it's a dominance game. Um, yeah. Historically, lots of ways you secured status were just through strength. Okay, so dominance is uh, his first way of playing the game. Uh, the second is success, a bit more obvious, perhaps. You win. You win at sport. You win commercially. You win the contract. You win the court case. You win. You're a winner. Uh, and the more you win, uh, the more status you have. And then the third way is the virtue way. So you, you, you secure status through being a moral person, a virtuous person, obedient person. Uh, because all of us are playing this game, and uh, we may play different versions of it at different times, but we're all playing the game. That we're looking around, thinking, well, where, where do I compare? Compared to him, compared to her. Where, where, where do I fit in? Probably not as good as him, but certainly better than her. Um, that's, we're just, not consciously, I mean, who's crass enough to say it out loud? Well, a few people, but um, most of us, it's just in our heads, we're playing this sort of game. But he says at the moment, the, by far and away, the most popular version of the game at the moment is virtue, because anyone can play at that. I mean, to win at the success game, you have to be successful, um, commercially, financially, whatever it may be, or a sporting game, you actually have to have some sex, success. Um, <laughs> What on earth would Freud make of that? Um, <laughs> drink more coffee, drink more coffee. Uh, all will be well. Uh, you have to actually have some success. <laughs> Behave yourselves. Um, but the virtue game, we can all play that. I mean, you have something like COP26. Oh, what a recipe for playing the virtue game. Because I can tweet out that I've gone veggie for one day a year. Um, look at me. 
uh, I'm better than you, who never does such a thing. We, we, can, we can all play the game in, in these sort of ways. Oh, look, I, I helped at a food bank once, several years ago. Look at me, that gives me a few points in the, uh, the virtue version of the status game. Look at me supporting some minority group online with a tweet and doing absolutely nothing which actually costs me anything. Look at me. We can all play that game. You see, that's the most popular game at the moment. We all want to, or we do not want to. We all do play the virtue game to sort of rise up in status a little bit. Unless, unless you really understand the central message at the heart of Christianity, the gospel message, which if you understand it, the outcome is, verse 27 of chapter 3, where is boasting? It's excluded. You can't do it. So, to, to, can I just be really clear as we look at this? Because basically, the, it's a very simple passage in one sense. There should be no boasting if you're a Christian. But it's not an imperative. He doesn't say, you lot, you will boast, stop it. He does say, if you understand what Christ has done for you, you just won't. That'll just happen to you. You'll stop boasting. It's not a command, but it'll just happen. As I say, this term then, uh, Romans 1 to 4, and the Apostle Paul then, he's writing to this church in Rome. He's never met them, but he writes to, uh, for two reasons that the book's explained. Uh, one, he says, I I'm going to go on a journey to, to Spain, and I'd love you to support me and, uh, as I take the, this message of what Jesus has done to Spain. The other reason is to unite the two factions within the church, Jews and Gentiles, the first people who become Christians, were all from a Jewish background, but more recently, Gentiles have become, non-Jews have become uh, Christians as well at the church in Rome. And there's slightly, uh, there's a bit of grumbling between these two different ethnic groups. And so it's so relevant, this section to this, because when people boast, it divides. Boasting divides. It can do so personally, I'm better than you, and Ethnically, nationally, we're better, we're better than you. Keep, I, um, you may not like cricket, but on, um, on Monday, uh, Australia won the Cricket World Cup last weekend. And on Monday, they uh, chartered a plane with the England team to fly to Queensland. So you've got 13 hours on a plane of the victorious team. We've won the World Cup. And the favourites, England had not. I think there was a bit of boasting going on in that flight. I mean, no one, none of the Aussies here would be so crass as to rub it in that they'd won. And, but um, on a plane, for, yeah, for, yeah, I think there was, a, you know, some of the characters as well, the sort of David Warner's of the world. I think there would have been a bit of boasting going on. It can happen nationally. Now, Paul says, look, you've got these two different groups in church, but you can't boast. You mustn't do that. If you've understood what Jesus has done, Boasting divides, but this gospel message, it humbles, and therefore it unites people. Now, last time, possibly the most important paragraph, sentence in the Bible, possibly. Um, for three chapters, Paul has said, no one is righteous before God. It's legal language. It's courtroom language. You are either righteous or you're condemned. You're in right standing or you're out of right standing. There's not a human on this planet who is in right standing naturally with God. No one is righteous. But if you trust that Jesus has died 
for all you've done wrong, past, present, future. He takes your punishment and his perfect life is credited to you. It's written in your column of the financial ledger. In your bank account goes his moral gazillionaireness. Um, that great exchange upon the cross, he takes punishment. You receive his perfect status, his righteousness. That comes. It's a gift. You receive the gift by faith. That's what he stressed last time. And uh, this little section which follows on, it just sort of pushes through some of the implications of that into people's relationships. If you get that, this is how you live. Okay. The, the headline, and this, you know, boasting is excluded. That's what I'm going to say about 70, how many times was wow? 13. More times than wow, okay? Boasting is excluded. So let's look down. Verse 27 really is the headline over the uh, whole section. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. You cannot boast about being a Christian because it's a gift. You cannot boast that you're better than someone else because all you have is given. The rest of the verse is a slightly odd read at first glance. Boasting is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. Remember, he's writing to a church where half are Jewish and therefore kept the Old Testament law, half are Gentile. And he's saying, but, but you Jewish law, you've been reading the law wrong. I mean, there are basically two ways you can read the Old Testament law. Either as an exam you have to pass, or as telling you about the Lord so you trust him. Well, let me put it in these terms. Well, let, well verse 28 tells you what he's going to say. He says, we maintain that a person is justified, that is put righteous by faith, apart from works of the law. It's all a gift. Let me put it this way. This is, I, I've told, told this story before, but it deserves a repeat because it's so good. Um, Years ago, a friend of mine, uh, he trained to be a minister in the States. He went to theological college seminary in the States. And in his year group, 150 odd of them, I think, or something like that. Anyway, first year, uh, one of the courses they did was in Pauline theology. That is the, 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 the theology of the letters that come written by the Apostle Paul, or North American, the Pauline theology, which always confused me. My mother's name is Pauline. I always got very confused. Pauline theology. Why are you talking about my mother? No, no, no. Um, anyway, they did this course in Pauline theology. And uh, the lecturer, my friend said, the lecturer got a bit exasperated with them at some points. Uh, these being slightly competitive you know, in you know, questions being asked, slightly outdoing one another. And he quite often sighs, saying, yeah, you're getting it here, guys. You're not getting it here, are you? Anyway, comes to the end of the semester, he said an exam. A stinker. I mean, entirely legitimate, entirely fair, but just a beast of an exam. Really difficult questions, how they're phrased. And I was, oh, it's a shock, I was getting the, the way this college worked, there, all the results were plastered on a wall. Um, not plant, you know, written, stamp, stapled to the wall, whatever. Uh, you don't get them discreetly, individually. You can go and see everyone's results. And uh, so the day the results come out, they all go, oh, what happens in New Testament 1? How was that? And 100, 150 of them fail, 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 f
muttering, muttering, mumble, mumble, mumble. And then, outrage, you know, I'm an intelligent person. I don't fail exams. I've never failed an exam in my life. And so 150 people sort of troop off to the, uh, this uh, tutor's office. And uh, they're lined up down the hall. And uh, he knew they were coming. Um, and uh, line up, line up all along. And he gave them all back their papers. And uh, they could see how terribly they'd done you know, 2%, 5%, you know, they can see that, all the, right on the front. Uh, and it, right, you got all your papers back, you see how badly you did, turn them over. But at the end of the paper, A, 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 A. No A stars in this, none of that silliness. A, I, you know, the best you can get. And sort of muttering, mumbling, all right, calm down, everyone, calm down, calm down. You know, what's going on, what's going on here? Okay. All semester, I've been teaching you essentially justification by faith. You are not in the right by what you do. It's a gift. And all semester long, as far as I can observe, your behavior has denied you've understood it, how you relate to one another. So do you see what's happened here? Every single one of you failed. But you have an A as a gift. Oh. Of course, oh, the mumblings, the mumblings, oh, oh, we see what you've done. And then as my friend tells it, you know, a number started to say, okay, we get it, we get it, sir, we get it, we get it. But, but out of interest, was I in the top third or the middle third? Or the... <laughs> and this is my friend and others say, no, no, don't, don't do that, don't do that, because the next exam, he's going to, no, no, don't do that. But there's just something in us. Am I, oh, okay. Oh, it's all a gift. All right, I accept it's all a gift. I accept that salvation's a gift. But am I in the top third or the middle third of Christians? I'm obviously, he's in the bottom third over there. I mean, look at him. Uh, but where do I fit? Because I want to boast. There's just something inherent. And Paul is saying here, will you just stop playing the status game? Because if you understand that all you have has been given to you, you can't boast. You understand that salvation is a gift, you really can't boast. You're never righteous by your own work. It has to be faith in God's gift. And he gives uh, three bits of evidence. We'll go through these quite quickly. Three bits of evidence for that. First, verses 29 to 31, all Christians are justified equally. Verse 29, all. Is God the God of Jews only? No. Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. There's only one God. And so there's only one way of being saved. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish with this great heritage of Old Testament history or it's all new to you as a Gentile. It doesn't matter. There's only one way to be saved. Because there's only one God. Can you imagine, um, have you anyone done the bungee down at um, uh, near the O2? Uh, it's quite good views. Oh, I've not done it. But do you go, and you, you obviously jump and you get the nice view of the, all the way up the river. But can you imagine two guys at the top uh, waiting their turn? And uh, guy number one says, uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Well, you're Jewish. Yeah, yeah he says, I'm Jewish. And so I'll have the bungee cord, please. Okay. And you go, wee, boing, up he goes. Um, guy number two, I, I'm a Gentile. 
So I don't want the bungee cord, thanks. Mm, I think you do, sir. Uh, I think you do, uh, no matter how good a diver you are. Um, you do, because there's one law of gravity, all right? There's one law of gravity, and it doesn't matter if you're Russian, Jewish, Gentile, from Kazakhstan, from France. It doesn't matter. The one law of gravity applies to you all. There is one God, says Paul. There's one way of salvation. You, can't de you can deny it, but it doesn't make it work. That's his point. One God, he saves all people in the same way, by faith in his Son. So verse 31, do we nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. If you trust in Jesus, that is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So all are justified equally. Uh, second little bit of evidence, just like Abraham, verses uh, 1 to 5 of chapter 4, just like Abraham. You can tell the issue is the same. What then should we say that Abraham, our forefather in the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Okay, so it's the same issue. Boasting, let's rule that out. Well, verse 3, what does the scripture say? Well, we had it read, Genesis 15. God says to Abraham, look, I know you're in your 80s and you have no children, but you will. You will. Your descendants, Abraham, will be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the shore. Loads of them, more than you can count. And Genesis 15 says, Abraham trusted the promise of God, and so he's declared righteous. That goes in his column, his bank account, as it were, morally. Just trusting the promise of God. It's just the same for the Christian. God says, if you trust that Jesus died for you and that his perfection is given to you, that goes in the column. You're credited, counted, righteous. It's just the same. And that gets clarified in verses 4 and 5. This is one. We can all understand this little illustration. Now, to the one who works, verse 4, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. We all get that. On the, whatever it may be for you, uh, on the 26th of each month, you receive a pay slip, and some money is, arrives in your bank account. You are rewarded for your work. Your whatever, 1K, 2K, 10K, whatever it may be, uh, arrives monthly, because you've worked. Now, I don't know anyone who then, when they see the money arrive in the bank account, picks up the phone to their employer, their immediate boss or their HR department, and says, oh, great employer, who has one such as you who kindly, benevolently, with munificence, grants me the same sum of money on the 26th, month, 26th of each month, and I shall compose a song in your honor. People, we just don't do that, generally. There was only a paper this week. 70,000 70, people were surveyed, and two-thirds of them in the UK thought they were paid below the market average. You know, generally, we think we're not paid enough. We don't compose songs when we receive our paycheck. We just go, oh, there it is. Uh, same as normal. Um, but, but if someone you barely know, don't know. If someone you don't know deposits five million 
pounds in your bank account as a gift. That's different. And you do your due diligence. It's not a fraud. They're not, you know, trying to uh, launder money. There's nothing illegal. They just, and you say, well, get a phone number for them and you ring them up. Why have you done that? You just plopped five million quid in my bank account and you don't know me. Well, I'm just kind. I mean, do you have some mental health problems? I mean, kind? That's crazy. That sort of generosity. Yeah. I mean, even more so if actually it is someone you know who's put this five million, and it's someone you've stolen from in the past, someone you've wronged in the past, and they do that. Well, that's very kind. Well, of course, that is the Christian. We have stolen from God. We've taken glory for ourselves. We've not thanked him for all he's given us. And still he deposits salvation in our account. We don't earn it. It's a gift, is the point here. And don't make the, think, don't make the mistake of thinking that, um, in some sense, faith earns righteousness. It's not that the uh, Abraham says, well, I've got faith. If I give you that, can you give me righteousness? It's not an exchange in that sense. Faith is, is the empty pipe that connects the house to the water mains. It, it just flows through. Martin Luther, his favorite thing was, um, obviously he's in, in the 16th century, meeting lots of monarchs and princes with vast uh, rings on their fingers with enormous jewels. He says, faith is just, you know those tiny bits of brass or copper, that, uh, the tiny bits of copper wire that hold the vast diamonds and emeralds in place. I mean, the copper's worth pennies. The jewel is everything. The jewel is Jesus. The jewel is Christ. Faith just holds on to him. Worth nothing. But it holds on to what is valuable. So just like Abraham trusted the promise of God, Christians trust the promise of God, and that's how they're put right with him. And just like David, uh, verses 6 to 8, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So look, let's look at the two big hitters, all right, of the Old Testament. Abraham, the father of the nation. David, the greatest king Israel had. And what do they say? Oh, you need God to give you this salvation. You don't earn it. I... Um, I led a Bible study on this passage a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And um, uh, 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 anyway, the, the group in it um, is a, quite a group, but uh, one of the guys in the group, mid-50s, been a Christian for years, uh, he said, we were looking at this, and he said, yeah, I quite envy David. So he was up. Well, because he, he knew the blessing of God's forgiveness in this life, and we have to wait to the end of our lives. So I envy him that. Oh, now ho ho well, hold on. <laughs> um, why, why do you say that? Well, so says here, doesn't it? David knew how blessed it was to be forgiven, and he knew that in his life now. Whereas I go through life now, and some days I think I do all right and God accepts me, and some days I think I do badly and don't think God accepts me, and I'll, I'll only know on the last day. 
No. <laughs> no, not that. Uh, not that at all. No, you, no, no we're, we're blessed in the same way as David. We have the absolute certainty of your Christian that when you stand before the Lord on the last day, he'll say, well, just as I said to you the day you became a Christian, you're forgiven and you're righteous and you're welcome. It, it, it is as if, if you're thinking of life as a trial, God is the judge who gives you the verdict beforehand and says, you can keep this in your pocket. I mean, you can go, evidence will come and go, and yeah, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But I've given you the verdict. I'm going to tell you now, you're not guilty. You're innocent. In fact, you're welcome. You're righteous. And this guy's been a Christian three decades or more. And he said, well, oh, I have that now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is... That's extraordinary. That's, that's just wonderful. Does everyone else get this? I mean, and then he's sort of like, do you, you, do you get how wonderful this is? He's sort of going around the group, do you get how wonderful this is? And everyone's going, yeah, yeah, we do. Well, why aren't you more excited? I mean, this is the best thing ever. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know. So like, why did no one ever explain this? Like, well, it's not changed. And he walked out the door saying, that is the best Bible study I've ever been to in my life. And to be honest, sort of thing that keeps you going for a few years. Um, not every study goes that way. But just like David, the Christian is justified by faith and knows that now, knows the certainty of acceptance from God, the guarantee of eternity forever in his kingdom. So boasting's excluded. So a do and a don't. I've been very naughty here. So don't boast, but do embrace. But it's not meant to be an imperative. <laughs> it's if you understand this, you won't boast before the Lord. Now, look, if we've been a Christian, we, we, we know that. But the status game, it lurks in our hearts. But it's got to affect how we relate to others. Uh, growing up, um, my uh, parents, we had some, they had this, my parents had some friends that I didn't quite get when I was young. So every year or so, we'd drive hours to um, the middle of Scotland uh, to visit Jock and Jenny, who were cattle farmers. And as far as I could tell, we had absolutely nothing in common um, with these, these cattle farmers. I mean, honestly, I, the, I don't want to be, I just couldn't understand the bloke. Um, the wife had a sort of softer accent, but he was sort of Highlands. I mean, I think I was the, we were the only English people he'd ever spoken to. Um, uh, it was just such a strong... I thought, we have nothing in common with these people. I don't understand why we go and visit them. And there was this other family, the Robinsons, who we used to go and visit a bit more regularly. They had this a mansion in, um, in Surrey. I was like, what have we got to do? Why do we even know these people? Uh, but I remember eventually, they must have been told numerous times, but being old enough to cognitively get it, not long after being married, my mum and dad had won a holiday. Ooh. I mean, this is the early 60s, okay? So it was quite, they'd won a cruise around the Med. Now, in the early 60s, that was like, that was good. Um, I mean, still good. Don't get me wrong, but that was, un, you know, unusually good. Um, I mean, that was, ex and there were others who'd won this competition, and they were all sat on the same table every night, and they did things during the day together, including Jock and Jenny and the, and the Robinsons. And mum and dad said, Again, we have nothing in common with these people. But it created this sort of strange bond that we'd all received this freebie. We were so excited to get a freebie. 
And yeah, this family down here, they were actually quite wealthy. But still, the freebie, they got very excited about. And Jock and Jenny, I mean, they um, uh, wildly excited about when you could understand what he was saying. The, um, and he sort of created this. A church is a place a little bit like that, where we all know we've been given a freebie. And even people are very unlike us, not in their accents, or maybe they are in their accents, but in every way unlike us. We have this strange bond in common of all knowing we've been given a gift and therefore boasting about it. I mean, I guess you could do that. If you've been given a free holiday on a cruise ship and that you go for the evening buffet, <laughs> I have the prawns and you have only the chicken. Um, I guess you, you could do that, but it makes no sense. In a church, what do you boast about? It makes no sense, but we sort of do. Yes, I know we're all justified by faith, equally Christians, I know that. But intellectually, I mean, let's be honest, I know a lot more about the Christian faith than you do. I mean, you can barely tell me what the difference between Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel are. <laughs> uh, you've been a Christian for 20 years, you don't know the differences. <laughs> um, no one says that, but we sort of think it. Don't do that, he says, you can't do that. Or morally, yes, we're all Christians the same, but let's be honest. I'm a nicer person. Actually, I'm just a more moral person. I mean, your life is a bit of a car crash, and mine is much more moral than yours. Yeah? I mean, no one says it out loud, do they? But somewhere in our hearts, I am, I mean, let's be honest, I'm top third, and you're middle third. Let's be honest about it. That sort of lurks in our hearts. Or the, the strange one, that sometimes, you know, People, we can boast about our lack of knowledge or lack of morality. Yes, that Christian over there or that church over there, they're a bit arrogant. They're a bit self-righteous. Uh, I know I need Jesus more than they do. Uh, I'm really conscious that the only way I'm right is justification by faith, and yet they, they seem to be justified by their intellectual knowledge and their, and their, their morality. I'm more needy, and therefore I'm a better Christian. Because I recognize my, you can have a sort of perverse boasting in humility. I know I need Jesus more, which makes me better than you because I'm less self-righteous. We can play the game in different ways. My top, I think I am middle third, but at least I'm not bottom third. If you get this, that it's a gift, you can't play that game. It scrubs the game out. So don't boast, but do honor others. Do honor others. Uh, very briefly, uh, Romans 12, verse 10. We'll put it in these way. Here's the opposite, I think. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I think it's the only place in the New Testament which encourages you to be competitive. Honor one another above yourselves or outdo one another in, in showing honor. Because... If you know that you're not playing the status game, you can big up others. Or to put it in these terms, um, Duff, who used to be here with us from Rwanda, he used to use this proverb. He says, a common proverb back home. The child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. There's wisdom there. The, the child who is not embraced by the village 
or burn it down to feel its warmth. If you don't feel accepted, you'll attack. If you do know the embrace of the village, you can enjoy it. The Christian is the one who knows the embrace of God, knows they're accepted, knows that God delights in them, and so doesn't feel the need to attack, doesn't need to feel the need to push others down, but knows that they're justified by faith and to honors others. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. The Christian is embraced by God, by faith in Jesus Christ. And that would mean we build one another up. We don't play the status game. It just stops over time when we believe it and know it. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that this salvation is a gift, that being put in the right, being made, declared righteous before you is a gift. We can't earn it. We'll never merit it. And that is true in each and every one who becomes a Christian. Father, would that truth so sink into us that we stop playing the status game? We know we don't need to because we know that we're accepted by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.